Hi folks, this is Shaq Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is December the 9th, 2013, and this is episode 1262 of the Survival Podcast. It's Monday, and Monday means it's time for a listener feedback show. We haven't had a lot of these recently because of, well events and uh, things that have popped up and then just me not feeling like talking about all of the uh, things that generally go along with the show today, which is how the clowns are destroying our country, and there's plenty of that today. But these are important things to keep an eye on from time to time. I took a little fast from the news. I recommend you do that every once in a while, too. But uh, today we'll get back into the groove. If you want to send me an email for a show like this, send me an email and send that to jack at the com. Again, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com put story for Jack, article for Jack, comment for Jack, question for Jack, video for Jack, something for Jack in the subject line. Send me that uh, email and uh, it'll get through my screening process and I'll consider it for the show like today. Before I get into your calls or your calls, before I get into your emails today, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today is Fortress Defense Consultants. You know, a lot of times I'm asked things like, what would be the best new gun for me to buy? And my response is generally, when's the last time you took professional firearms training? And if the answer is never or quite a while ago, I often say, well, maybe you should get out and take some training. Uh, because there is a what I call the triangle of gun operator effectiveness. And there's three main things in that triangle. One, gun. No gun? Yeah, you're right. You need a gun. Uh, but if you got ten guns and no training... Time to look for some training. you got to have a good, effective weapon. The next thing you have to have is ammunition. A good, effective weapon with no ammunition is an overpriced club. But the linchpin that makes the weapon effective is the operator. Uh, you can buy a gun. You can buy ammo. You can buy training, but it only really matters if you take it in and it's applied. So that means you want to get the best training possible. And you want training from someone that won't just train you, but train you how to train. That's what Frank Sharp and his cadre of instructors will do at Fortress Defense Consultants. Remember, if you cannot get up to Indiana to train with Frank, he can come to you, put together a small group, let's say six guys or more, and get a local range or an area that you can, guys can use to train on. And Frank will pack stuff up and come travel with you and customize training to your needs. Not everyone will do that, but Frank Sharp will. Check him out today, Fortress Defense. Dot com. Next up today, backyard food production. If you want to turn your backyard into a food production machine, check out the DVD series called Growing Your Groceries from Marjorie Wildcraft, and that's what she'll show you how to make backyard food production a reality, whether you're on a tenth of an acre in the suburbs or 10 acres in the semi-rural area or 10,000 acres out in the country. You can adapt the techniques that Marjorie and her family use to be largely self-sufficient in this day and age. It's all documented for you. The bonus DVD material is probably worth the entire cost of the package alone. Check it out, backyardfoodproduction.com. Best way to visit Backyard Food Production, Fortress Defense Consultants, and all of our sponsors, visit the survivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin so you know you're dealing with someone I actually endorse. There's a lot of people out there that like to capitalize on the good name of others. We call those brand pirates. They are out there, I assure you. And in this case, Backyard Food Production has a special deal for all TSP listeners, not just MSB. So if you use their banner, you'll see that deal. On that note, do want to remind you about the Member Support Brigade. Last week I said not to join. This week I'm telling you to join. 
The uh, Member Support Brigade is on sale, $30 for the next 12 months. Um, this is really geared toward new subscribers uh, or people who have already expired and didn't take advantage of the crazy sale I did for you guys last week for one reason or another. 30 bucks for the next 12 months. The uh, discount code is DEC2013, DEC2013, uh, Delta Echo Victor 2013, or December 2013 is basically what it means. And uh, it's good until Sunday evening. Uh, Sunday at midnight, actually, Central Standard Time. So that is until uh, December 15th, and uh, you get that first year for 30 bucks. If you want to pay by mail, you can do that. It's no big deal. Uh, there's a form, uh, and uh, there's a page to join. And on the bottom of that page, you can either click to join by PayPal, or it says to join by silver, cash, check, money order, check, click there. You'll get a form to fill out. You uh, fill that form out. You mail it to us at the uh, address that's provided on that form, and uh, we'll go ahead and set your account up for you. While this is for new members, if you join by mail or extend by mail, we can take care of you. Just make sure you check the thing that says existing account. If you are currently paying by PayPal, pal, note that on your form, and we'll square that away. If you want to continue to pay by PayPal, um, it's really very difficult for us to do that. If you're almost expired, like you're going to expire in the next week or two, you could cancel your auto renew with PayPal and set up a brand new account with a new new credential. That would be the best way to do that. I'm sorry, uh, but we can't really accommodate that request. I'm not AT&T going new customers only here. Um, this is a, a system limitation, uh, and it takes more effort than you might think to manually convert a customer from renewing, self-renewing to to manual renewing and, and to cancel PayPal subscriptions because most people don't seem to figure out how to do that. Um, by the way, if you ever want to cancel your account and you're paying by PayPal, you don't do that in the MSB. You go into your PayPal account, look up your recurring subscriptions, and cancel there. One of the reasons I like PayPal as a business person with a recurring billing model is people sometimes say, you charged my account without me knowing. No, I didn't charge it without you knowing. I can't charge your account. I can know your PayPal email address. You can send me a note from your mommy that says I'm allowed to. I can't do it. Um, with PayPal, the buyer is always in control. You, When you set up a recurring payment, like for MSB or anything else like that, like your NRA subscription or whatever, uh, you basically are setting up on your end and saying, I want you to send this money to this person at this amount and this frequency. And uh, that means you always have control of it. Just a little side note there for you. That said, if you ever need help with it and you want to cancel renewal, just let me know. I'll take care of you. Um, before we get into today's uh, feedback, uh, let's go ahead and uh, take care of uh, knocking out our year. year in question is the year 1262. There's not a lot that really piques my interest in the Wikipedia page, but there is this little footnote. Markets. The Venetian Senate starts consolidating all the city's outstanding debt into a single fund, later known as the Monte Vicio. The holders of the newly created Prestiti are promised 5% annual coupon. These claims can be sold and quickly give rise to the first recorded secondary market uh, for financial assets in medieval Europe, uh, until 1320 anyway, when it kind of fell on its ass. What this basically said is, let's say that you had given me $100. We'll just use dollars because we're familiar with that. But basically, I would pay you $5 a year for your $100 on account with me. And they they rolled this into a basically a, a perpetually running over system at this point. So that basically, you don't get your money back ever. When you get your money back, if I ever feel like paying you, I'll pay you. But I guarantee you interest as long as you have the debt on loan to me, which might be forever. 
and it gave rise to secondary markets. What does that mean? That meant that you could take your – the city of Venice says they will pay you 5% a year in perpetuity or eventually pay back your loan, which they're probably never going to do. So you have a, a, a bond for $100 uh, with 5% annual return from the city of Venice, and you want to sell that. Well, merchants quickly realized that there would be a, a banking industry around that, and they set up a way where you could come and say, I want to sell this, and they would connect you with a buyer for a fee, of course. Uh, Goldman Sachs? Goldman Sachs, that's what that is. Uh, Alex, who's been uh, helping me out with this, has a, a, a few of his own thoughts on this, or a little bit longer Now, let me read. After wars of conquest, a failed direct tax and levy amounting to 60% of a citizen's wealth. So by the time they did this, they'd already taxed you basically on 60% of your wealth. The Venice government consolidates and finances their debt through compulsory loans called prestiti. Compulsory. You understand that? They took the loan whether you want to give it to them or not. Eventually, these perpetual loans were called Monte Vecchio and are the earliest recorded use of general government debt rolling over per perpetually. Venice will not see its financial credibility return until 1600, but the Macho Vecchio will only last 20 years. So I want you to think about how this works. So this is where the government of Venice, and, and Venice is in this little tiny city with canals at the time. Venice is its own little nation. It's not huge, but it's bigger than what we think of as Venice today. It's one of the most powerful and influential you know, city-state Uh, type entities in the world at this point. Very, very wealthy, except they've squandered their wealth through debt. They've taxed their citizens to where they realize we can't do this anymore. All right. So they, what they've realized is if we tax our citizens any further, we'll destroy ourselves. They actually got to that where like, we can't take more or there'll be nothing left. So even governments eventually realize I can only tax so much. But they got all these debts, and they don't know how to pay them, and they don't know how to keep the money coming in. So they just decide, you'll loan me money. Not I'll tax you, you'll loan me money whether you want to or not. They take the money, and they give you a coupon, a bond, and they say, okay, now we took your $100, here's five bucks this at the end of this year, and here's five bucks next year. and here. So over 20 years, you'll get your all your money back, right? It would be 20 years to do that, five times 20 is 100, but then we'll still owe you another $5. And we'll still owe you another five dollars, and we'll still. It might be thirty years, and now you've gotten you know one and a half times your money back. You, your kids can hold on to this. This you can be willed, and and people say, well, I I want more money now. And investors said, uh, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll set up a secondary market where you can take and trade your debt. So that, that yeah, again, it's it's Goldman Sachs. It's the government taking money without permission and telling you the terms on which you'll get your money back on the timeline. And presto, government debt is fixed just because they passed a law. The more things change, the more they stay the same. With that, let's get uh, into your emails. Again, if you want to send an email to me for a show like this, the email address to use for this and all other correspondence. And there is no super secret squirrel email address. This is my real email address, and it is better than sending me a message on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of that other crap that I don't really pay attention to. Um, you send the email to jack at the survival podcast.com jack at the survival podcast.com. And for the show, put email for Jack subject for Jack question for Jack theory for Jack video for Jack article for Jack something for Jack in the subject line. Just three words, no more, no less last two words being for Jack. And, uh, I will try to get you on the air. Uh, this one comes from Mick. Mick says, it appears to me the response of our heavy weather this Sunday says as much about the economy 
as it did about the reliability of the weather service. I don't know if you saw any of the footage from the Philadelphia area or the Eagles game. I did. It was pretty nasty. Uh, but we were expecting a dusting uh, to an inch, but got between four to eight inches through the area. On the way home from church, we had about three on the ground, and none of it had been cleared away from any of the roads we traveled, from limited access highways to small back roads. So we, the thought occurred to me, that the response we saw, which again was almost nothing, was noteworthy. Sure, they had only predicted an inch, and the road crews had brined or pre-cheated with salt water the main roads overnight. But in years past, they would have had trucks out in stage just in case. Now, I don't think we've got the money to have folks sit around burning diesel and double overtime paying a bunch of trucks throughout the area. As a result, we had cars stuck on major four-lane roadways, Route 202 stuck on minor hills because of heavily packed snow, and by the time the trucks were dispatched, They were in such traffic they couldn't throw any salt or plow anything. There's another economic analogy waiting in that somewhere, too, I think. Again, this made me think, what are some of the other less obvious economic indicators, like our local hesitance to bring in road crews, etc.? What do you think? Well, there's a lot going on here. I think in some ways this is an indicator that people that are supposedly not prepared for something are often more prepared in some ways. And what I mean by that is, Uh, you guys got snow. We got ice. We got about two inches of solid packed ice. Um, overall, we've done pretty well down here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they've done very little to actually fix the streets. We've just had to wait it out. And people pretty much knew this was coming and pretty much battened down the hatches before it happened, and most people just stayed put and waited for the snow to start melting off the road. And what I mean by less prepared then is that we knew that our city, our county, our state is not prepared for ice and snow. They're just not. They throw out some chemical on the overpasses and some sand here and there. And eventually they had to bring out equipment that really isn't meant for snow and clear off some of the highways with it, these uh, scraper grader machines that are generally used for highway construction projects and things like that to break up what they were calling cobblestone ice. But because we did not expect that the government would fix the problem, and we had already accepted the government would not fix the problem, we, instead of trying to fix the problem ourselves, which is pretty much insurmountable, you can't really fix it, uh, ice is much more of a difficult thing to deal with than snow, um, we just kind of prepared for it and, and, and waited for us to get around the other side of it. Uh, and that way, when they did send equipment out to do what they could do, there wasn't a lot of people in the way. Uh, they actually went on Sunday and said, look, uh, here's some areas that are really bad. We're going to go out and try to clean these areas up. Please don't go there for the first part of the day. And uh, I think people largely did that. So that's one lesson, that sometimes when you live in an area where government typically is prepared to deal with a problem, people come to expect it and actually end up in worse ways when they're not done. Now, your observation that perhaps the city of Philadelphia, you know, Uh, Bucks County, Westchester County, those areas around there, and probably throughout the state of Pennsylvania, uh, can no longer afford to just stage crews unless they absolutely know they're going to be necessary. Um, that's probably true, and I'll tell you the other side of it. They probably can afford to stage crews some over the winter, but not as often over the winter. So they're having to pick and choose, and they know very well that even though this was a mess, okay, um, that they much, they better be prepared to deal with it when it's three feet instead of three inches. And they're having to pick and choose when they stage a lot more than they would have in the past. And that does say something about the economics overall and about economic waste in government because there's probably a lot of places that are less important than keeping the roads open. 
uh, that we could trim money from rather than from keeping the roads open. What do they always say when you tell them you're a libertarian? Uh, who would build the roads? Well, how about they get that right before we worry about who's going to do it? So that's that's something there as well. Uh, what, it, what it made me think of, though, is this was the worst I'd ever seen down here. Um, not from power outages, not from a disaster, from road conditions. These were the, the worst road conditions I've ever seen. And I'm getting tire chains for all my vehicles. And it's something I should have done a long time ago, but... You know, we all get lulled into places where we're complacent. And the idea of carrying tire chains in Texas is just, like, really? When are you going to use them? Once every two or three years, maybe. And when are you going to really need them? Once every four or five years, maybe. Uh, and the answer is, yeah, probably. Those numbers are probably right. But when you need them, you need them. And when you don't have them, you don't have them. And I did a little bit of driving on the ice here, and we did okay with it. And it took a lot of precision to stay on a couple of these roads. Uh, a lot of patience and, and really, you know, knowing how to drive in ice, uh, which is something I do know how to do. And my thought was, how much easier would that have been uh, with chains on the vehicle? And then my thought was, what if one of us needed to go to an emergency room or something like that? And what if it was me that was down and Dorothy had to drive? And could Dorothy drive in the ice the way that I did? And how long would it take, even if you did it right, to get somewhere we needed help? And when you can't call an ambulance, you can't call an ambulance because they're not coming in the ice. And so one of the things we're adding to all our vehicle vehicle kits is chains. Uh, and I'm even thinking about getting some chains for uh, our, our shoes uh, for times when you need that. Because I took a nasty spill on the freaking ice um, this week myself. We have basically an ice sheet for a yard right now. It's not so bad today because it came up and melted quite a bit yesterday. They're expecting more melt today. Uh, but after it came down, uh, some of it was snow, some of it was ice. We got just enough sun to melt it, and then it went down into the teens. And so when you walked across the yard, the yard was iced. You were standing on about three inches of cover and not going into it at all on the you know on the surface like it was a lake. Um, so that's something we're adding as well. So I think that when we see government fail, we, we need to be honest with ourselves and not just go, well, look at how bad government sucks, and say, what can we learn from that about how we need to be prepared to deal with this ourselves? So that was my thoughts on that whole thing. Uh, great email from you, Mick. And, uh, yeah, man, be careful up there. Uh, you guys, uh, have an attitude about people in the South often like, oh, look, you know, we get a foot and we deal. The reason that, the reason that you guys can get a foot or two of snow and, and get around fairly well soon afterwards is because you have the equipment to deal with it. Um, what you're seeing now is a little taste of what it's like to live in the South when these things hit and not having the equipment to deal with it. Uh, now change that snow to ice and you'll get a better feeling of why it, it shuts the cities down here. We get a lot more ice in the South than we do snow. And the ice is absolutely deadly in many ways. Uh, the weight that it applies to trees and poles and we had, um, the, uh, the, the coverings on all the boat slips out on Lake Louisville all collapsed. I mean, you're talking millions and millions of dollars worth of damage to the infrastructure and to the boats underneath them, just from ice. Uh, it's something you don't, and I've never seen that, and I've seen bad ice storms here. I've never seen anything like that happen before. So, yeah, it's time to uh, assess yourself in these situations and be prepared to deal with them because the government may very well not be able to. Um, last week I made some comments about how government bureaucrats uh, will often have to spend all of their money and get very pissed off if they can't because they're, they're judged poorly for doing so. 
uh, in regards to FEMA and FEMA coming and setting up and telling people that were there to help and volunteer, get out of here, we don't need you, this is what we do. Um, and I got a couple emails from people saying, you don't understand, a lot of those people that, that show up on those job sites and all from FEMA, they're not you know, going to get a pension from FEMA, they're volunteers, they're other emergency responders, and they're part of FEMA task force. Yeah, but the people running it are FEMA employees with FEMA pensions. They are. And it's the truth that in bureaucracy and government, you are penalized for not spending all the money in your budget per year. And if you don't believe me, believe Richard. Richard sent me an email, and it says, For Jack, FEMA comments. Having worked for government, I can attest the accuracy of your comments in regards to budgets. It's anti-ethical anti, uh, to my beliefs to spend more than necessary, especially since the money we have is from the people of this country. However, I was dinged on a performance eval for not spending all the money we had left at the end of the fiscal year, despite having bought all necessary equipment and supplies needed and nothing more was requested. I was told to go out and buy various unnecessary things just to spend it. In fact, one of the goals outlined in my eval was to spend the budget to nearly 100%, not to do my job, but to spend the money. I don't know how much longer I can work for them since I cannot knowingly waste taxpayer dollars without good performance evals. One does not get promoted. So the chance for advancement is stifled merely by the fact that one tries to save taxpayer money. Sorry by the rant, but this is why government is so inefficient. Those who play the game and waste taxpayer money get promoted and run things. Those who don't sit at the bottom. Richard. Now, guys, there's a lesson there in, in the future of our country, isn't there? Now, this is just verification of something I've told you many times. Now, you have to understand, Richard is just one person of millions and millions and millions of people in these type of bureaucratic jobs. And they exist at the federal level, the state level, the county level, the city level, and the township level. They exist, and they exist in other forms. The United States military runs the same way. When I was a motor sergeant, I was dinged if I didn't spend the entire motor department's Uh, budget in a single year. When we got near the end, they're like, just order parts. We don't need, the whole parts bay is stuck. Order them. Order parts. Order tools. Order anything you can and spend every dime. Do not let a dime exist by the end of the, of the fiscal cycle. This is going on everywhere. And when they tell you there's not enough money, this is one of the reasons. How much money in defunct cities was spent that way? Think about that. How much money in defunct cities was spent that way? Cities that went broke like Stockton, California. How many people that worked for the city of Stockton that had, you know, a cost center and money to spend, spent money that didn't need to be spent because they had to spend it so they could get a good eval? And if you don't think FEMA works the same way, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're wrong. If a, a FEMA department head doesn't spend the money allocated to him or her, They get less money next year, they're dinged, and they're not advanced as they normally would be. I do understand that many people that show up with a FEMA badge at a disaster are not full-time FEMA employees. I get that. You're not telling me anything I don't know. But I know that the people that are running the departments, that are running the shows, that are running the whole operation are people who are employed and with given the de facto orders, spend all the money. And they don't like it. When a church group comes and, and, and with $20,000 does more than they could do with $250,000. They don't like it because now they don't know what to do with those things. And they're going to get nailed for it. And this is just a confirmation of that. That's the state of our government today. The next time you hear some bullshit 
from a local government official, a state, a county, anywhere where you're actually talking to one of these guys and they talk about not having the funds, ask them the question. Inside the county of, within the city of, in the state of, blank. How much money is spent every year at the end of fiscal cycles to make sure that departments don't lose their money for the next fiscal cycle on things that are not necessary? And, and watch them like a deer in the headlights. Some of them won't even know what you're talking about because they've never actually had a job in government. All they've ever been is an elected official. They don't even know what happens. This is one of the biggest uh, places that there's waste in our governments today. Now, trying to fix that, I think you're wasting your time. But if you're going to be involved... Maybe you should be involved with things that actually could make a difference because that's something we could fix. That's something that could be fixed with policy right there. If we had a policy that department heads were rewarded for meeting all their goals and objectives in government and coming in under budget, if we just had that system, we're talking federally and federally down, we're talking billions and billions of dollars that are wasted solely for the purpose of spending the budget that's at hand. Uh, this is where we move into a new segment, the uh, the sigh slash Jack was right segment. The jeez, I was right again, and I wish I wasn't, but I am. And it, it it really spells big problems for the country as a whole. What I've said over and over again is, as these cities and towns go bankrupt, that sooner or later they'll hit a wall where they can no longer just pay the pensions, and they'll either cut them or eliminate them as part of bankruptcies. And if you live in a city or a state where that's not going to happen to you, even though you're a government worker, don't be so sure about it. But even if it's true, you still have a problem. And that if you're not a government worker and you're not banking on government pensions, it's still going to affect you because here's what's going to happen. is millions upon millions of Americans who are banking on these pensions and these, and these lifetime incomes for being nonproductive and doing nothing. And I don't mean nonproductive and doing nothing during their career. But understand, if you work for a city that employs you for 30 years, and you start when you're 20, and that means that you work till you're 50, and you have a life expectancy of 90, you're going to be paid for 40 years, a lot of money per year in some instances, to do nothing. You're being paid not to work. And it's it's not sustainable to, to run a model that way. Um, they, these cities shouldn't even be doing these pensions. That They should be putting workers in control of their own money. But they haven't, and they haven't for years and years, and people expect this. And as these people don't get paid they're going to have a severe effect on the economy as a whole because generally people between 50 and 70 are big spenders. Um, I know you're thinking of the cheap old grandmother you have or whatever and how she won't spend any money. That's yesterday's old, old population. Today's older population that are retiring in their 50s and 60s are deciding to enjoy their lives. They're a lot healthier and more active in many instances than in the past, and they're a lot more mobile. And they're buying RVs and going all across the country. But as, as this dries up, These people will have to live a much more meager existence. And you might say, well, tough shit. It doesn't matter. You know, you held down a desk for 30 years at Detroit's Department of Wasting Public Dollars, and, and now you don't get as much or you don't get any, all you get your Social Security and whatever you save, like everybody else. Join the real world, wham, pity party for you, right? Uh, it does, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. This is a piece of the economy that was expected to be there that's not going to be there. And I've told you about this over and over, and people have said, oh, they'll always bail them out, they'll always pay. And I'm like, they can't. Here you go, Detroit, uh, biggest municipal bankruptcy in history, by the way, guys. This is on uh, Personal Liberty Digest. 
Detroit municipal workers learned Tuesday that promises made by the city and their union leaders that they would have lifetime pensions and health care benefits were hollow ones. It's an ill omen for pensioners across the country. Detroit is $8 billion in debt, and federal judge ruled on Tuesday the city can file for bankruptcy in order to develop a plan to reorganize, i.e. stiff bondholders and pensioners. The ruling allows the city to cut worker pensions and retiree health benefits, despite the provision in the Michigan Constitution protecting them. So in other words, this federal judge realized that the money's not there. And you could say that they have to pay, but they don't have the money, and they're not going to have the money, so tough cookies. They're, the city's bankrupt. Back to the article. Uh, bondholders are expected to get back 18 cents on the dollar based on a plan previously submitted to the city's emergency manager, but it's the effect on public pension holders that's the most significant part of the ruling. Hold on. Wait a minute. That's, that's the most significant. The pensioners are more significant. Okay, listen. The pensioners are losing benefits that they would get after they were done working. Okay, benefits that they should have known were ridiculously too high in the promise category anyway. Um, bondholders who were promised they would be paid back their, 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 their loan plus interest are being told, yeah, you loaned us $10,000, here's $1,800, go away. Uh, and that's pretty significant. And, and that might affect your 401k plan if you're in a bond fund, which you probably are, at least in part. We'll talk more about that a bit, right? I mean, that affects banks who had, you know, loans out to the city of Detroit. And it also sets the precedent that this can be done over and over and over again now. You got that? All right, let me go back into the article. Uh, quote, this is the first option, opinion of its kind where bankruptcy court has directly expressed the view that the supremacy of the U.S. bankruptcy law trumps the state constitutional protections of public pension holders. Mark S. Kaufman, senior partner at the Atlanta law firm McKenna, Long and Aldridge, told the Washington Post, quote, the implications of this, that decision are significant not only to Detroit, but will also potentially to other cities gauging the level of fiscal distress and how to deal with it, end quote. Detroit city workers were led down a primrose path by their union leaders who promised to protect their interest. They willingly went along as the unions held the, city's, uh, the city citizens hostage over lucrative pension and a Cadillac health care insurance promises that were unsustainable and would not have been attainable in a private sector job. With no bottom line to account for, Detroit's elected class piled debt on top of debt. Bankruptcy Judge Stephen Rhodes noted that had Detroit matched spending to revenue over the past several years, okay, not forever, just for the past, if in the past several years they just said we're not going to borrow money we don't have, we're going to deal with it. Okay, you got that? Just for the past several years, its debt would be $700 million. They would owe $700 million rather than $18 billion. For perspective, at $18 billion, Detroit's debts are more than twice as much as the total of the next four highest combined municipal bankruptcies. Jefferson, Alabama, Orange County, California, Stockton, California, and San Bernardino, California, which were $4 billion, $2 billion, $1 billion, and half a billion prospectively. So I want to talk about something there that nobody's saying. The, the four largest ones... If you add them up and double them, don't add up to Detroit, right? But what's not being said, those are all recent. Jefferson County, Alabama, I told you about that. Orange County, California, told you about that. Stockton, California, told you about that. San Bernardino County, told you about that. So the, the five largest municipal bankruptcies are all things that have happened within the last few years. 
It's the head of the iceberg, folks. It's the tip. It's all coming. These cities are going to start folding like freaking cheap cards right now. They really are. Okay, let me get back into here real quick. Unlike the federal government, which can print money to infinity and currently is doing so, states and municipalities have to rely on tax revenues or federal regress in order to pay their bills. So when the commitments far exceed the conceivable revenue, something has to give. Rose ruling opens the door for financially troubled cities and states across the nation to likewise eliminate or slash exorbitant pensions and health care benefits promised its workers. There are dozens of municipalities, including Chicago, Houston, and Baltimore, and several states like Nevada, Illinois, and Arizona, and New Jersey with huge debt loads. And there's the $200 trillion in future liabilities owed by the federal government. The feds are already eyeing the almost $20 billion in America's private pension funds, 401ks, and individual retirement funds, as we've told you before here and here. And a report published last year shows that your bank savings aren't safe either. Uh, my advice for several years is, listen to me, don't follow this guy's advice. I'm just reading it to you. Take the penalty, cash out your retirement savings, and exchange it for gold and silver bullion. This guy, I, I tell you what, as good as this is, if this guy was sitting in front of me right now and he said that, I would just go, and I would just smack him in the ear. I really would. There, there is no more re reckless advice to give somebody than cash out everything. I don't care if it's penalties in a 401k or IRA or what. Cash out everything by silver and gold right now. With, with no understanding of the future of those markets whatsoever. Just panic, run, and dump. Diversity, guys. Diversity. But let me tell you what is good about this article here. He is telling you the future because you can finally see it, I guess, about what's going to happen to these cities. And I'm going to get emails. I know it. You don't understand. I've been working very hard and diligently all my life, and it's all I have, and it's all I can depend on. You shouldn't demonize and vilify the pensioners. It's not our fault. You know what? Partly you're right, and partly you're dead wrong. No, it is your fault. It is your fault, uh, to a degree. You're, you're, you're at least partially to blame, because you believed it. You believed it. People that worked for the city of Detroit, watching the city melt down year after year after year, collapse on itself year after year after year, go into decline, believed that it would be possible that they could be paid for 30 or 40 years at 70 to 80% of their salary and have health insurance that's unbelievably generous that no private sector employee could ever get their hands on. Believed it. So that's where the pensioner is part of the problem. Because you believed it, and you didn't plan for any other contingency. And now you expect, because you didn't plan for any other contingency, for someone else to fix it for you. Okay? Because the city ain't got the money. And that's the bigger issue. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the people on the pension side are good, hardworking people that deserve what, deserve what they were promised or not. Doesn't matter. It, it might matter emotionally, but it doesn't matter logically. Logically, it works like this. These cities, counties, states only have so much money, and they only have so much money coming in. And there's a certain base cost as to keep a city running, and if you don't keep the city running, you're not going to get anything because the city's not going to be there anymore. And there's only so much after that's done to do things like pay pensions and pay health care benefits. And the unions behind these cities are holding firm and not negotiating at all and making the problem that's already insurmountable worse. And in the end, some of these people 
are not going to get a portion or a reduced uh, pension. They're going to get absolutely nothing. And the more that these unions hold out to get everything, the more they deserve nothing. Because anybody that can do math can look at these cities and say, this doesn't work. Including my city of Houston, yeah. The people running that city are idiots. And I'll tell you who's not far behind them is the city of Fort Worth. The city of Fort Worth is, is, is nowhere near as bad as Chicago or Houston or Atlanta or Los Angeles. But their, their books are not balanced. And they have massive liabilities that they're, eventually they're going to have to do something. Now, the, 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 the advantage for cities in the southern states is in general the unions have a lot less control. But inside government, they have, they have tons of bargaining power. But in the end, the amount due exceeds the amount available, and something's got to give. And this is just the first example of a federal bankruptcy judge saying, you know what, when we look at this under United States federal law and what bankruptcies are, are supposed to do, which is allow an entity to continue and to make reasonable compensation to everybody the entity owes based on what's available and what's left, pensions are not off the table, nor should they be. And let me tell you, those of you who think that's the problem, that the judge decided that, you don't understand the problem at all. That is a guy who I may not agree with many things on, but at least he got that right. Something has to give, and everything must give some. And the more ridiculous the commitment, the more has to give. Because what's the alternative? You know what? Yeah, we'll approve Detroit's bankruptcy, and they can screw the bondholders. Bondholders, instead of getting $0.18 cents on the dollar, get, get $0.01 cent on the dollar. Still doesn't fix the problem. Don't pay this, don't pay that. It still doesn't fix the problem. The biggest weight these cities have are these pension funds and are these benefit packages that go with them. And if you don't do something, eventually you'll get nothing. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. And nobody wants to accept it. And I'm sick and freaking tired of the sob stories about Joe worked hard and diligently for 34 years for the city of Detroit. He was promised this. And he was, it doesn't matter. The money isn't there to pay him. It doesn't matter. Something's got to give. Life isn't fair. Welcome to the real world. This is why I've been preaching a message of preparedness for almost six years now. Because you have to be prepared. And we've lost that in America. And Joe is just as much responsible for his life as the city of Detroit is, whether Joe likes it or not. And Joe better be smart and say, I'll take 50% of what I was promised, or I'll take 60% of what I was promised and, you know, bare bones health insurance until I qualify for uh, Medicaid, which is also going to go bro Medicare, which is also going broke, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that and see what I can do with it. Because if Joe and, and his collective brother and hold their breath and say no deal in some of these deals, they're going to get nothing. And if they hold their breath and won't, won't give it all, then nothing's what they deserve. And again, it doesn't matter what you feel. I talk to people all the time, well, I feel this, or I just believe that. You can feel and believe all you want. 
You can feel and believe that magical unicorns should fly through the air, land in front of you, fart rainbows. Angels should slide down the rainbow and grant your wishes. You can believe and feel that. Congress can pass a law that mandates it. It ain't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. The money isn't there. It's gone. It's been spent. It's owed. And when you have an entity go bankrupt, trust me, I know all too well, when you have an entity go bankrupt, everybody involved gets less than they were promised. That's how a bankruptcy works. And whether you like it or not, the unions are party to these cities and counties and states going bankrupt. They are as much a part of these cities, counties, and states going bankrupt as the politicians who spent the money on the other side of the frame. They are equally culpable. So if your union president... If your union president tells you that the greedy fat cats are responsible and should give up what they have so that you can have what you were promised, you tell him he's part of the greedy fat cats and he should be the first one to give it up. See what he says. And frankly, folks, when a tornado tears down your house, it's not fair either. When an ice storm collapses the roof or drops a tree into your house, it's not fair either. When you're driving down the road and someone runs you off the road because they were drunk or stupid and you get hurt or killed and your family has to deal with your injury or your loss, it's not fair. Life's never fair. So the fact that it's not fair doesn't really, it's not really germane to the problem, is it? It's not really germane to the subject. Of course it's not fair. It's life. So you, if you're in one of those positions, you better figure out what to do as though none of the money will be there. And then whatever you do get is icing on the cake that you've baked for yourself. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't think this applies to you, eventually you're going to be looking for something called Social Security benefits. And if this can happen at the state level and the city level, etc., it can and will happen at the federal level. And as this article says, the federal government can and does print money at will. But what it does is devalue whatever you're going to get in Social Security. And inflation will rear its head. And they will do things to not adjust Social Security with inflation. And if they promise you $2,500 a month, you may very well get $2,500 a month. But it may buy you in your retirement what about 250 buys you before your retirement. And there won't be anything you can do about it. And you can yell and you can scream and you can gnash your teeth and you can wail. And you can say it's not fair. But nobody's going to fix it for you either. This is a problem that we as a nation are, are going to have to fix for ourselves. And it's going to be a major economic shift that's going to bulldoze the financial futures of millions upon millions of Americans. And no, it doesn't mean run out and buy gold with all extra money because it's it could be a long time between then and now. We don't know. It means pay attention and be prepared. Save your money. Stay out of debt. Let's take another one. So um, moving along in the oh, Jack was right segments, um, how about this one? Mysterious China-themed city proposed in New York's Catskills. This is on Fox News. U.S. immigration officials are considering a proposal from Chinese investors to create a multi-billion dollar development in New York's Catskills called, quote, China City, end quote, raising concerns among critics about the potential cost to U.S. taxpayers and, according to one analyst, the possibility it could be a stalking horse for the Beijing government. 
A spokesman from the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services told FoxNews.com that the proposal for Thompson, New York, has not been approved but is under consideration. The mysterious proposed development appears to be a step beyond the types of ethnic enclaves scattered throughout U.S. cities like Chinatown, Uh, sections of New York or San Francisco. The 600-acre China City of America is located far outside New York City in upstate New York's wetlands and is a meticulously planned project calling for family housing, a college, a student residence, uh, among other structures. In addition to needing federal approval, it would likely need a host of state and local permits before ground can be broken. It's a perfect storm of problems. David North, Center for Immigration Studies, If approved, every province in China would have an office there, and foreign investors funding the development would receive green cards for their half-million-dollar checks under the EB-5 program designed to lure foreign investment. According to the Center for Immigration Studies, a conservative organization staunchly opposed the project. A detailed report authored by David North, a fellow with the Washington-based group, claimed there is, quote, a charge from within the Chinese community that China City is a stalking horse for the Chinese communist government in Beijing, end quote. He claimed he was told one group raised objections with the USCIS. Quote, it's a perfect storm of problems, end quote, North, North told Fox News, citing what he called a dubious job creation claims and the promoters as well as national security concerns. North noted that developers claimed 20% of the funding would come from U.S. taxpayers, which he said was a, quote, pipe dream. The China City Regional Center's website, though it includes little English, shows a section referring to federal funding under the section titled, quote, Phase One Investment Percentage. The website states U.S. government investments total $65 million, accounting for 20%. The site is affiliated with a Florida law firm which could not be reached for comment. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services would not confirm such a funding request in the formal proposal and said Wednesday it does not disclose details of pending applications. The China City Regional Center is not approved. An application has yet to be filed and it is still pending. A decision has not yet been made. Christopher Bentley, a spokesman with the USCIS, told Fox News, quote, with all cases for a request, Uh, immigration services or benefit. We rely on the information provided in the law to reach a decision whether it can or cannot be approved, end quote, said Bentley. Local officials did not respond to requests for comment, but a videotape of a public meeting held in Thompson in May, available on YouTube, addressed the proposal and underscored the controversy surrounding the development. Supporters of the project in an economically depressed area of Sullivan County say they believe it would be both a financial and cultural boom to the region. <sighs> Quote, families who invest in an EB-5 program are normally influential, wealthy families from China. A lot of them are successful business owners and enterprisers. Most of those investors are highly educated and skilled in different fields. Quote, end quote, one, pro, one wrote one poster. My head's starting to ready, be ready to explode. Get ready as I read the last one for your head to feel the same way. Quote, I believe this is a big pro, this is a big project that can be, create thousands of job opportunities, end quote, wrote another. Quote, such a precious opportunity to learn about Chinese culture and beauty, end quote. Okay, the Chinese government wants to take over a 600 acre area. It's the size of many small towns and basically build a small piece of China in the Catskills of New York. They want 20% of it 
Phase 1 development to be paid for by the United States federal government. In return, they're offering to bring their most influential business people to America to build businesses in this country while training Chinese citizens and Chinese uh, immigrants in a Chinese college about Chinese business in our country at our expense to go out and do more of that. I almost don't want to comment on this. I almost feel like if I have to explain to you why this is a problem, that you're not going to get it anyway. In fact, I really do feel that way. I don't think if I have to explain why that's a problem, anyone's going to get it. Now, for the anarcho-libertarian component of my audience, let me just say, if a bunch of Chinese people wanted to come here and build this thing at their own expense, do things their own way, buy the land their own way, and do this completely as a private entity, I wouldn't give a shit. But this has clearly got major backing from Beijing. Clearly. And we're being asked to pay for it. And I don't care if we're being asked to pay one dollar. It's too much. No foreign government should have a holding within our nation other than very small embassies. Um, this has been talked about being done in, in kind of rural parts of Idaho as well. They're going to do it everywhere eventually. They'll get one done. They'll do a beaut. It will be beautiful. It will. It'll be gorgeous. There'll be YouTube videos of how amazing it is, and there'll be videos of people that work there that are not Chinese, or they have a contract to do something for this organization, and how, how what a boom it's been to the community, and they'll sell it to you. And most of you, when I say you, I mean the whole country, not you, the listener, will buy it. Buy it in spades. And this leads me to something I'm working on. I'm, I'm working on a list of new laws of warfare. Laws of warfare in the 21st century, according to Spirko. And two of them are... Economic warfare is far more efficient and affordable than military warfare. And another rule is never invade a nation that you are able to purchase. That's what this is. This is an invasion through purchase. I'm not an isolationist. I'm not racist. I don't have anything against people of Chinese descent. I don't have a problem with 600-acre China City existing in upstate New York if it's all private citizens doing it as private citizens uh, with their own money. I think it would be a wonderful thing. I'd love to see it done. Uh, I'd go visit. But this way, oh, hell no. Funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars, asking for special considerations and waivers to get things done they normally wouldn't be able to get done that I couldn't get done on 600 acres if I wanted to. Um, having offices for every province in China existing in the United States in this one location, backed by a foreign government and paid for with U.S. taxpayer money. Our day in the economic sun is the leader of the world economically is waning. In fact, it's over. The writing's on the wall. It's already happened. We're there. There's, there's, this isn't, it's very hard for people to accept. This isn't something that's, you know, coming. It's here. It's just, we were so big for so long, the tail is awful. We're in the long tail of our decline right now. Um, think of the peak oil curve where it comes up really slow and it comes up and then also it goes fast and it goes up really, really fast. Then it levels out and then it drops really fast and there's a little tail at the end. That tail, make that tail really long. We're in that tail right now. 
We're in that tail right now. We are not the most economically powerful country in the world anymore. The, the, the final illusion created by our ability to print money and our historical track record is falling apart right now. But behind the curtain, the truth is already revealed, and the Chinese know it. And they want to have hundreds of these things in our country. And it's not so that they can put you in a labor camp. China has perfected in many ways. Not perfected, but they're trying to perfect what I call soft colonialism. Um, we were pretty much engaged in hard colonialism, and the British Empire was definitely engaged in hard colonialism. Hard colonialism is you move into an area, you take over, you start to develop it, you do it your way, whether the people that you're doing it with want it done or not, and you just control them. And if they up, they go into an uprising, you smack them down. Uh, the British were pretty intent on setting up their own parliamentary systems of government. The U.S. was a little smarter in setting up puppet governments that we enacted our will through. And when the puppet government turned on us, we just smacked it down and reinstalled a new puppet government. Um, the Chinese have looked at that and learned from it and said, yeah, not that we mind busting heads, not that we mind stealing stuff, we're government. I mean, every government steals. That's kind of one of the things you have to be if you're going to be a government. You have to be a thief. You have to be willing to take from one and give to another against their will with the point, at the point of a gun with the threat of violence, right? We will create 50,000 new jobs under the threat of violence at the point of a gun. That's what should be added to every politician's speech. I worked hard to bring more money back to my home district with the threat of violence at a point of a gun because it came from somewhere. It was taken from somebody. So it's not that China's won't do it. It's like they've just looked at it from an effectiveness. They go, it's far more effective. To make the people you're working with think it's their idea. To go in and offer something in exchange for profit. China is really on the verge of perfecting socialist capitalism. Which we call fascism, by the way. That, that's, that's what you're saying. And, and the way that they're going to take over this country, and, and they pretty much are, is in numbers and by buying their way in the door. And I don't know that there's anything that can be done to prevent it from happening at this point. We are a distressed property in need of an investor. And if we take the stance of get rid of all those damn commie Chinese people, that's, that's not going to help. That's not going to work. We're going to look like fools. Because it's not really what it's all about. It's about a nation that is owed a lot of money by us, trying to figure out how do we not lose our asses. It's like you have a whole bunch of rental houses out. Well, that's a different way. You are a, a, a very wealthy person, and you have a big stake in a bank. And that bank has a lot of mortgages out to people that you know eventually won't be able to pay their mortgages. And you go in in advance and start to buy up the majority holding in their ownership. Why would you do that? You know they're going to default. Well, if they default and you have a holding in the bank, the bank takes a loss and you take a loss. And the bank has the property and can market it as a matter of recourse. But you may or may not benefit from that. If you own the property, you own the mortgage, and the owner defaults, you take the property. It's not the same thing, but it's pretty much what China's doing right now. 
they know will economically fall down. And they know the intrinsic worth of this nation is such that we will somehow shift and come back. And they're going to go in as distressed property investors and want to be part of the decisions that are made during that shift. And frankly, we have enough socialism and fascism in this country that the last thing we need is the Chinese who are frankly better at it than we are. But it may be very well what we're going to get. And I don't see this being stopped. I see this sooner or later, this will happen somewhere, probably in some liberal shithole, where they look at it and go, oh, what a beautiful chance to learn about Chinese culture. Well, you can do that without 20% of my money and special concessions and EB-5 visas and greed cards for Chinese nationals and, and basically creating a, a, a free market embassy for every province in China. By the way, that would be like us doing this. Let, let's just flip it around. And, and, and watch how you would think it was a good idea because you're the one. It's not all of you, but some of you who still believe in the dichotomy would think it was a good idea because we benefit from it. Imagine it went the other way. We were going to put together a group of American investors and go to China and with the backing of Washington, D.C. and get 600 acres in China and build U.S. city China. And we were going to have a U.S. Uh, education center there and housing, and every state would have an embassy there. There would be an embassy for Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, California, Virginia, West. Every major state, every state in the union, all 50 of us, not 63 or whatever Obama said it was, right? All 50 of them. And D.C., 51. District of Columbia gets one, too. Would have an embassy, an office, acting like an embassy, inside USA City in China. Why would they want that? Why would Florida want that? How would it benefit Florida? Start thinking, see, start deconstructing these things and you see this true motivation. Well, let's also flip something. Let's imagine that the, the, the China owes the United States a lot of money and China is our biggest customer and we have the other side of the trading balance. We sell them more than they sell us. They're a major market for us. Florida, with its own interested heart as a state, manufacturing and tourism and things that would want to market to China, now has a beachhead right in the heart of China. And it can work with Georgia for a joint marketing campaign. And it can also work with Georgia and say, look, we know these guys aren't going to ever be able to pay us all the money that they owe us. Let's figure out how we can make deals with them since we share a common border and some common things of value and some common business units that will make it such that when they fail, we'll be better off than if not. And wouldn't it be beneficial to Florida and Georgia to have those nice little offices set up in the heart of China? Especially if eventually we built a dozen or a hundred of them, and they had one in all those locations throughout China. And sitting right outside of their doorsteps are very influential wealthy families from America. Got it? And just across the way, in this beautifully landscaped campus, is a college providing American education to select Chinese people and mostly American citizens now choosing to live abroad in China who are directly in connection 
with those wealthy families and these ambassadors from all 50 states. And to top it off, we get Beijing to pay 20% of our bills. Sweet deal for us, huh? How much control in 10 years' time with a couple dozen of these things throughout China, with China owing us lots of money, and us making all the goods and shipping them to China, with all of that infrastructure, could we exert as China went through, you know, basically a, a national bankruptcy? A lot, right? Well, I just told you the story in reverse. This is something that we should get better at for critical thinking. Whenever you hear something, whether you think it's good or bad, just flip the two sides and see how you feel about it then. If it's Democrats making a proposal, imagine it's Republicans making the proposal. How would it affect Democrats if Republicans were proposing this and Democrats were opposing it? If it's the U.S. doing something in another country, ask how we'd like it if that country did it in our country. If it's another country doing something in our country, how would we like it if we were doing it in their country? And understand that if how you feel changes, then logic is lacking. Now, you might feel that's bad for them versus that's bad for us. But if you feel like it's good this way and it's bad that way, That's emotional choice. That's an emotional decision. If you feel like, well, I thought it was good, but now I think it would be bad either way, that's a logical change of thought. It's either okay for one nation to use its force to, con to convince another nation to act a certain way, or it's not. Or to capitalize on another nation's decline. And how much can we really blame China for wanting to do this? I mean, there's an old saying that applies here. If I owe you a hundred dollars, I have a problem. If I owe you a hundred million dollars, you have a problem. We owe China over a trillion dollars. They have a problem and they've been printing money too. They've been printing money too. They've been printing money faster than us. They've just been making some very smart commodity plays as well. And frankly, they're looking to export bodies. With 1.7 billion people or whatever it is, they need to get rid of some people and they're looking for places to send a few million of them. Your backyard is due for a few of them. And they're doing it because they're trying to protect their investment. I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think it's very bad, actually. But that's what I think. I'm just telling you logically, this is what's going on. You have a nation that will soon be the most powerful economic nation in the world. That right now has the most powerful economic nation in the world as its biggest customer and its biggest debtor. And is looking at that nation and saying... Economically, you will not be able to sustain yourselves in the future, and something's going to give, and we know that we're going to lose somehow in this, and we're going to protect what we're going to lose as best we can. So in other words, the Chinese government is being a lot more methodical about protecting their investment 
than the unions of the nation are when it comes to fighting for their supposed pensions. Not good or bad. I'm not judging. I'm just giving you the logical facts on the ground. We have a real problem here. A real problem here. And it will take very little pain for the non-resilient citizenry of this nation to start opening their arms to things like China City, USA. And don't think it'll only be the Chinese that'll take up this model. It most certainly will not. Real quick one here from uh, Brent up in uh, Prince Edward Island. He says, some LCD computer monitors won't work with modified sine wave. Long, we just had a power outage up here in Prince Edward Island. And my computer kept running, but my monitor turned off. So I tried three other LCDs with the same problem. I plugged it into a pure sine wave, hooked up to the uh, SLA and all as well. Uh, I'll have to check that. Uh, because the uh, inverters I have uh, sitting in my little backup power system right here uh, are not pure sine wave. They're modified sine wave inverters. Um, Steve Harris has told us that almost everything that you would want to run with your inverter will run off a modified sine wave, and it's not worth the extra money. Uh, if this checks out for Brent, which I, I know Brent well enough after all these years that I pretty much bet it's going to, uh, you might want to add at least one pure sine wave inverter uh, to your options uh, for your backup power systems. Now, I have tested and, and found this to be the case. I can use my battery backup system and my inverter to power my UPS and recharge it, which then powers my computer, and I have no issues. But I have not tried hooking my LCD monitor um, directly up to one of my inverters. I'll try that and let you know. But that's something, that's a hole that some of us may have in our uh, backup power plants, and that's one reason to test them before we're forced to test them. Um, but if you have any experience with that, I'd, I'd like to hear from you. I keep talking about 401k plans and how the government is using policy uh, in consort with financial institutions, i.e. the banking system, to change your retirement program without passing a single law and mostly doing so without your knowledge. Here's an example of that further than I have ever heard about before. This is from Gary. Gary says, I got a mailing from my company's 401k plan administrator this past weekend stating that to, quote, help company X employees enrolled in 401k prepare for retirement, end quote, to help you. It's always to help you. Get this shit. They would automatically be increasing the amount taken from my check by an additional 1% each year until capping at 10%. I have to physically go in and intentionally opt out to prevent them from just plain and simple taking my money. It even says that employees currently making no contributions but are signed up for 401ks would start incrementing them by 1% each year too. Don't you, do you know if others are reporting their companies doing the same thing? Sounds like a 401k grab, hoping most won't notice the 1% disappear from their checks. I think most people, Gary, would notice the 1%. I think this is only a limited shot across the bow, but boy, does, see, I always look at what they're doing and say, what does this say about what they want to do and what they're going to do? So stage one, for those that haven't heard me talk about this before, was the removal of cash, cash equivalency, and money market funds from 401ks systematically throughout the country. Very few still have a cash value fund, which means you have an option in your 401k that's like holding cash in the bank. Those have been largely replaced with bond funds, and most of them are heavily weighted with U.S. government 
bonds. The reason they would do this is so that there's money perpetually going into our bonds, Venice. Did, did you just get that little side note there from today's little history lesson, folks? Did you, did you get that? Forced loans to the state, Venice. Forced loans to the state, United States of America, inside your 401k, without your knowledge. Just change the options. Okay? So now, it used to be that if you wanted some of your money safe, you just put in a cash equivalency fund. You know, a little 10% cash reserve or something like that. A little hedge. So first they just take those away, put in bond funds, and all of a sudden, trillions of dollars, not trillions, billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, goes into an endless cycle to help U.S. government debt turnover. So that way they can keep the policy scheme running longer. See, it, it, I know it seems impossible to believe this, but it doesn't matter how much debt a nation has. It matters, can they service it? Can they keep turning it over? When all of the debt that's due this year comes due, can you pay it and sell enough new debt to keep the cycle going and pay the interest? And one way you can do that is create this little captive multi-billion dollar market of people that are doing it without knowing it, like Venice did. Oh, I mean the U.S. did. Are they the same? Kind of. So that was for stage one. Take away cash value funds and force money into bond funds. And every time people freak out and dump stocks and they don't liquidate a 401k, so I'm not saying you should, they go to the safest option. And instead of going to cash, now they go to U.S. bonds and, and municipal bonds. Detroit. Got it? See how it all fits together? Like a perfect match of puzzle pieces. It just goes together beautifully. So then, what I've been saying that they want to do after they get that done is implement mandatory employer-provided retirement accounts. But the, the employer wouldn't actually spend the money, that the employee would just have the money taken away, and they're going to do this eventually. But the layup is the accounts that are already there, the employees that are already there. So what they'll do, initially it seems, And so they'll just start increasing your contribution without your knowledge, knowing full well where it's going. And what they'll do, they'll make a default decision. If you haven't selected where to put your money, then they don't want your money to go at risk. So they'll automatically put it in the safest option, which will be, dun-dun-dun, U.S. government pawns, backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. See? You know your money's good there. If your money's not good there, the dollar's not good. Do you understand that? Um, it's not really your money's anymore at risk. It's just they get to control how it's being used. It's being used as government debt and to turn over government debt. When I say turn over, again, I mean so that when all the debts come due this week, we can have enough new money come in next week to cover the difference and put the debt back into place and keep it running and keep it growing. So then you just say the easy thing to do is just start this policy where we want to help you better prepare for retirement. So all the people participating in a plan that, are, that currently are doing 5%, next year just are magically doing 6%, and they go, you know, I really should have done that myself, and I can still get, it's not that much money, and then 7, and then 8, and they cap it at 10. Well, what's going to happen next? Uh, this blueprint here is pretty clear. The next thing that they're going to do is they're going to implement a policy that says to an employer, if you offer a 401k plan for your employees, for any of them by choice, you have to mandatorily enroll all of them, and only if they opt out are they not included. 
So then you get your mandatory 401k plan by default for most employers. And then they'll eventually say, and all of you greedy-ass bastard employers that won't do this, we require you to select a 401k plan. And mandatorily enroll, and what they're going to do over the next few years is they'll get every working person in America covered with a 401k plan. They'll say it's your right. You have a right to health care, and you have a right to a reasonable retirement. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. You come to me right now, folks, anybody who wants to lay action. I'll bet you in the next presidential election, you're going to have a charismatic candidate saying you have a right to a reasonable retirement. It will be almost a catchphrase. And I didn't think that up yesterday. I thought it up right now. And they're go- that's what they're going to say. You have a right. Americans are born with certain rights. But there are some rights that are not spoken of. But we all intrinsically know that they are there. We have a right to reasonable and affordable health care in a nation as wealthy as ours. And it won't matter if this person opposes Obamacare and is running as a Republican. It won't matter. He'll say that Obamacare is why it's too expensive and his solution's better, right? There probably will be a Republican. And Americans have a right, when they work hard, when they follow the rules, when they do what we've told them is the right thing, and they are good stewards of this nation, They have a right to a reasonable expectation of retirement quality of life. They have a right to a reasonable retirement if they've done the work. That sounds fair. So we're going to make sure that everyone has equal access to that reasonable expectation of retirement. We look at Social Security and it's fill in the blank. They'll either take a negative or positive view of it. Okay, But what we know full well, that even though we are going to keep the promise of Social Security, as we look at our seniors, we know that it's not enough to really live the life that they deserve in their golden years. And more must be done. And up till now, only those with higher incomes, only those with the right jobs, Only those people have had that additional cushion to make sure that they could take care of themselves where? Well, in their golden years. The time for that has come to an end. It is time for everybody to simply have the right to a reasonable retirement. And if you just choose that you don't want to, no one is going to force you to do it. But what we are going to do is make sure that the companies that you work for, that the agencies of government that you work for, we will do this equally, that all employed Americans at least have the option to set aside a little bit for tomorrow because they do have a right in a nation like ours. I should be a freaking speechwriter if I had no morals. You want to bet? I'm telling you, you're going to hear that. You're going to hear some version of that pile of bullshit. It sounded good when I was saying it, didn't it? Huh? That's what they're going to do. They're going to take over by proxy. They're not going to seize your 401k. They're not going to have to. They'll go inside and make policy changes that give them the money as debt. They don't care if they get it as tax or debt. They don't care. 
as long as they get it. Oh, and they'll come after it from some level with taxes, too. In the future, they'll say something like, well, you know, we provided this. It's only reasonable that you should have to pay some kind. They'll come up with some new tax provision on this or something. Who the hell knows? But they're going to do it. And this is just another blueprint of that. So once they do that, this is a perfect blueprint. This is why it's happening in an existing place to test bed it for the future when they roll it out everywhere. What will happen then? You'll get a job. You're a young person, 21 years old. You got your first real job. And you're going to get that thing that candidate XYZ promised you, uh, an expectation of a reasonable retirement. But you, you're just starting out. And you can invest up to 10% in this 401k program that they're going to give you during your, 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 your briefing with HR. You can, but you don't have to. Got it? But unless you fill out this form that says you don't want it, which they'll put at the very bottom of the stack, they'll put it way down there and uh, shuffle it and say, you know, you don't really have to do anything at all. And it'll just be taken care of for you. And once your account's set up, if you want to increase your contribution, then you can do that. Right? And if you ever change your mind, you need that 1% back, you can stop your contributions. And, and most young people will just like, I, they, they'll be so busy filling out the freaking paperwork for their health care that they can't understand, calling their mom and dad and going, what the hell does this mean? Calling a lawyer to figure out what half of it means, that they'll just, uh, I don't have to do I'm not going to do it. And then in the first year, it'll be 1%, just like they were promised. And, and, in the second year, it'll be 2, and 3, and 4. And most of them won't have any idea, and it'll all be going to that safe and secure government bond fund. And they'll pour hundreds of billions of dollars of new government debt out of the pockets of the American workforce. And then there's the beautiful thing. Every time they give a raise in the minimum wage, they'll give themselves a raise in debt. Which is as good as money. Understand to a government, to a government, debt is as good as money. They're the same thing. As long as they can service the debt. And then when they do that, they'll say, well, there's, there's absolutely no reason that an employee that leaves one job to further their career by moving to a better job should have to go through a laborious process and make that money into an IRA. They'll create some kind of fairness and retirement act. Okay. Um, where they'll say that if you are going to a new employer, that employer has to allow the transfer of everything that you have in your old account to your new account. So that if you go from company A to B, your 401k will roll over without having to go in an IRA, no complexity. And if, if you haven't selected anything, it'll just all go to government benefits. In fact, here's what they'll do to help you. We want to get this done fast. You, you can pick your options in the new plan later. We'll just roll it over, and it'll all go to the safe U.S.-backed security. And then you can allocate it in the new plan however you want, whenever you get time. They are stealing the wealth of America and transferring it into debt. Right now. Now, I had people email me and go, oh, I got to get out. Of, I, I don't want them doing this with money. I want out, out of my 401k. I wouldn't liquidate your 401k because you're pissed. When you make an emotional decision, it's almost always wrong. Until you know exactly why you're taking the money out, logistically and numbers-wise, how it's justified economically, and exactly what you're going to do with it and how that benefits you, 
Then if you want to pay your penalty, it's your money, do what you want. If you decide you don't want to contribute anymore, then opt out and put your investments elsewhere where they're under greater control of your own control. But don't liquidate out of anger. I know it's a natural, like, I can't believe these jerks are doing this, but, but, how bad can you get hurt doing this? The answer is, you don't, I don't know. This is a gambit. Those of you that are familiar with the uh, comic book that I read back in the 80s called X-Men, though there's an X-Man named Gambit, he's a gambler, and you might not really even know what the word means, though, a gambit. A gambit is an unexpected move designed to throw your adversary off. A gambit in chess is is an unconventional chess opening, something that another experienced chess player looks at and goes, well, that's a weak opening, why would he do that? And it throws them off, and... You actually know your next moves after that gambit. Okay? It's an unexpected move. This is an unexpected move. This is, and I'll tell you why it's unexpected. Because I'm not the smartest guy in the world when it comes to stuff like this. And I'm the only one I know that's talking about this. I'm the only one I know that's figured this out. And I've been yelling about it for two years now. Heavy for two years. Talking about it for almost four. This is a gambit. And what I'm telling you is in many ways it could work. Imagine if you got all working Americans into a program like this. Oh, and wait do you hear this. Wait till you hear this little freaking scam. What if you said people currently receiving a hand up through various government programs, commonly known as welfare, have a reasonable expectation of a decent retirement as well? And what if you set up a program so that everybody that was getting money from the government had a little bit of it put away for their retirement? And you told society, this is good for you too. This is forcing them to do what they won't do, save money. And and they even say, you know what, when we look at it that way, it seems reasonable that if the American taxpayers are going to be providing for you right now, um, and you'll need an evil Republican to, to, to deliver this message. Uh, at a time when Republicans are in charge. Because those change, and we'll talk about the consequences of thinking it's okay to change the rules when, when, when your side's in control and how that'll bite you in the ass later, uh, in just a minute. But, so you get that done under the evil Republican regime instead of the evil Democrat regime. And you say basically that, look, American, American taxpayers are paying for these people to live, to work, to, to live and not work. Uh, they won't put it that way, but they'll say they'll be, you know, providing for you. And it, it's reasonable that those people should be doing something. So what they'll do is they'll say, well, we'll just take 2% of whatever they get and put it into one of these programs for them. And we'll just make a mandatory retirement age for them, for that money. And that'll be their own money. And it'll, it'll give them a step in the right direction and show them what's possible and incentivize them to get a job someday so they could do more of this, which it won't do, but that's how they'll sell it to you. And now you take all the money stolen from the American people, to pay for social welfare programs, and you immediately take a piece of it and shove it back into debt. What they'll end up with is everybody in America with an income, regardless of source, buying bonds. Remember World War II? Buy war bonds to support the war. You're going to buy the war bond, which is what they are. We wage war throughout the world in many ways. You're going to buy the war bond with your money, whether you want to or not. I, I might be going a bit far when I say they'll do it with uh, with government, uh, uh, what they call it. The, the, it's a hard word for me to use, benefits payments, 
right? Because a benefit to me is something you earned. Social Security really is a benefit. You work all your life, you get your money back that you paid in, that's a benefit, right? You get some interest on it, that's a benefit. Um, being paid to sit on your ass, uh, squeeze out babies and not work, and being given an apartment that when I was busting my ass at 24, I, I couldn't have afforded, even though I was busting my ass and making decent money, I couldn't have afforded your apartment, you paid 35 bucks a month for it, that's not a benefit. That's a gift. That's a gift from your taxpayers. And the gift has been taken from them with the threat of violence at a point of a gun and given to you. That's what that is. Okay? But uh, that might be too far. That might never happen. But everybody with a paycheck, everybody with a paycheck in America, and they'll say it doesn't matter if you're part-time. This won't be like older. If you're under 30 hours, you know, you're exempted like Obamacare. No, they'll say there's no reason to exempt anybody from this. It doesn't cost the employer any money. That'll be the selling point to the employer. We're not asking you to do anything except allow an organization in to administer the program. They won't even charge you for it. They'll do it for free because they're nice guys. Man, they're going to funnel the money in. And again, if somebody else is talking about this, somebody please tell me who it is. I, I, I feel like the only voice in the wilderness on this issue. Um, I'm going to give you a short version of this one because this is going to be a long show today. Um, but in the LA Times, there's an article that says a new breed of Senate Democrats drove filibuster change. I'll read a little bit for you. After pushing through one of the most significant rule changes in Senate history, Majority Leader Harry Reid struck a solemn tone, quote, this is not a time for celebration, end quote. I'm going to tell you, this is because Harry knows he'll probably still be in the Senate and not be in the majority at some point. He's smarter than most of these new breed Senate Democrats. Uh, even though I don't like Harry Reid, he's not stupid. Some of these people are stupid. I'll tell you why in a second. But behind closed doors in a room off Senate floor, some of the newer Democratic senators couldn't help themselves gathering for a quick party to congratulate each other. They were the ones largely responsible for pushing the veteran Nevada lawmaker to pull the trigger on ending filibusters against most presidential nominations. The partisan revelers were part of a new breed of Democrats emerging in the Senate, mostly elected after 2006. These relative newcomers have known only a Democratic-controlled Senate and have little experience with successful bipartisan cooperation due largely to the Tea Party's grip on the Republican Party. Now they are hoping to become a new power center in the party, nudging the old guard to adopt more aggressive tactics in pursuit of legislative goals and largely brushing aside Republicans' threats of retaliation and obstruction. They see the rules and traditions of the Senate as having stifled the will of the majority and stalled President Obama's agenda. Quote, the Senate is a graveyard for good ideas, end quote, Tom Udall Democrat, New Mexico. Before I go on, Mr. Udall, Democrat, New Mexico, give me one good idea your freaking government has proposed in the last 20 years. Ant, wrong answer. Doesn't matter what you say, you're wrong. There hasn't been any good ideas. All you've done is shit on the liberties of the American people. That's it. That's all the government's done for the last 20 years. Piss away our money, destroy our economic future, and encroach on liberty. Pass laws to restrict rather than remove laws that are unnecessary. That's all you've done. So uh, it's a non-starter. But let me, I digress, I'll go back. Who, along with Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, led the filibuster reform effort and won over veteran colleagues in a body where seniority was once the most valuable currency. Okay, you can read the rest of this pile of tribe if you want to, because uh, the author clearly thinks it's maybe a good idea that there not be a filibuster at all, anywhere. 
because it's not in the Constitution. But yet the Constitution allows for the filibuster to exist. Therefore, it's constitutional, folks. That's how it works. Anyway, um, this is what these idiots don't understand. One day, believe it or not, the pendulum will swing to the right. And one day, there will be Democrats going, that is the most horrible, horrible person that evil Republican could have ever proposed for secretary of fill-in-the-blank or you know, director of whatever. And we want to stop it. And there won't be anything they can do. It'll just go to a vote. And the Republican majority will just say, yay, and it'll be approved and done. And the option that they would have had to come forward and say, we don't want that person, and, and, and push for compromise will be gone. And they will have done it to themselves. I don't think this is as big a deal as everybody's making it out to be, this particular rule change. I think that whoever is proposed and whoever is accepted is going to be an insider scumbag who's going to piss away the future of the American people because that's what all of them are doing and have been doing on both sides of the aisle for years and years and years, really almost forever, but in the last 20 years at an accelerated rate. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat appointed or Republican appointed. All the government is doing right now is destroying our economic sustainability, our economic future, and, and, and basically squandering what, what America has left. So will it be that big a difference who gets appointed under, under Obama or under anybody else? Not really. It's a good theatrical opportunity. But the real thing here is an opportunity to learn that the American people haven't learned the lesson that this new breed of Senate Democrat idiots Idiots, Jeff Merkley of Oregon. You're an idiot. You're a freaking idiot. Because you're going to be sitting there one day if you don't get your ass thrown out of office. And in Oregon, you, you're probably safe. You probably won't. You're going to be going, huh, I did this to myself. There's nothing I can do about this now. And this is what the American people do all the time. Bush is in office and does all of these things to take away liberties with the Patriot Act and other legislation. And now, conservatives, if you want to call yourselves that, are wailing and gnashing your teeth as Barack Obama uses the very legislation passed by President Bush to further that agenda. And the Obamanites are cheering along their leader all the way because he's doing mostly what they want. And understanding as he increases the power of government, that when the pendulum swings again, Some new version of Bush, evil Republican, will take over and use that which was handed off to him by Barack Obama, and so on, and so on, and so on. The people of this country are ignorant in that they allow the person doing what they want done to accomplish things from a policy standpoint they would never permit the person that they oppose to accomplish. Because when their guy's in charge... It's okay to shit on other people. That's what the Senate just did. But it's what your nation's been doing for a very long time. And it is how the policy of incrementalism really works. We always hear about how Democrats are incrementalists. They do these little things, little things. No, government is incrementalist. They do what they can on the left side, and then they let the dichotomy paradigm shift, and they do what they can on the right. They do it on the left and on the right, and on the left and on the right. And folks, I don't know if you've noticed... But a person moves forward a lot better going left, right, left, right, left, right, 
than, than hopping on their left or their right foot. Incrementalism is bipedalism. It's a march. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. And you cheer when one foot's moving forward, and you boo when the other foot's moving forward. And then you cheer again. Yay, boo, yay, boo. Left, right, left, right. Ignorant sheep in charge of the republic. Ignorant sheep in charge of the republic. And your Senate just demonstrated that they're also full of ignorant sheep. I guarantee you, that Jeff Merkley, if he's still around as a senator, is not going to think this rule change was a good idea when he's on the other end of it. Just like a lot of people that thought it was okay to have things like the Patriot Act installed, to set up all of these surveillance programs, are running around screaming to everybody they can get to listen to them about how bad it is that they're here now, even though most of the initial work was done while their horse was leading the race. Left, right, left. Left, right, left. Incrementalism and the destruction of your nation. That's why I focus on solutions, folks. All this does is bum me out, man. So I'd like to talk a little bit here at the end today about what you can do about all this. Write your senators in your... No, that that, that won't work. Make sure you go vote on... No, that that's, that's not going to work either. Left, right, left. Until such time is enough people in this nation understand that their first duty is to be a guardian of the republic, which hopefully most of you do know that, until such time as enough of those around you who are asleep awaken and realize that we cannot fix this problem using the same methods by which it was created, that it will require a paradigm shift in leadership, not just a new person in charge, but new people who are not part of the system in charge. And that's probably a pipe dream. Because the system corrupts faster than you can replace. The whole system has to be completely stripped down and replaced in one fail swoop. If 10% of the old guard remain in our government, the government will look the same in two years. I mean it. The only way to purge this government is to get rid of them all in one shot. One major election, and you can't do it. You can't do it. Because two-thirds of the Senate will still be there. The, the will of the American people would have to be enacted through three election cycles with a policy of 100% replacement. And not just, there's a Democrat here, I'm going to put a Republican. There's a Republican here, I'm going to put a Democrat. No, they have to be completely new people from completely outside the system. And they have to know what the hell they're doing and they have to have integrity, and they have to not be corrupted by power, and they have to not be corrupted by the lobbyists, and they have to rein in all of the appointed bureaucrats and all of the appointed policies and all of the directives that were just installed, and it's not going to happen. The nation will go through a paradigm shift that will be very painful before we fix any of this. And, and we will still not strip it down. And I, I still don't feel good about the, whatever comes out the other end of it. But my concern is to get through it and to prepare as many people as I can to get through it. This is why I say focus on yourself. Focus on your family. Focus on your community. No one knows the real future. 
I know things they'll do, and I can ascertain likely results from them. But there'll always be gambits. There'll always be new moves. There'll always be another way to kick a can a little bit further and make the crash at the end a little bit harder. There'll always be a way to turn one class of people against another class of people. There'll always be a new version of us and them. And the only version of us and them that should exist is us, the people, and them, those in control. And that will be the last one that they ever let stand. They'll give you a version of it, us, we, the Democrats, and you, the Democrats, and them, the Democrats in control, the Republicans in control, and those stupid people that follow them, and vice versa. We, the Republicans that are for constitutional conservative government. It's those evil Democrats that are in control. It's us and them. But they'll never, never, with the marketing apparatus that they have in power, until such time as too many of us wake up, until we hit critical mass, they'll never let you really understand that us is a very, very big number and them is a very, very small number. But there's so many of us with a USB cable in the back of our skulls plugged into the matrix that will defend the matrix because it's how we sustain our existence that we're not ready to wake up and be us. So we'll constantly be divided, us and them, black and white, rich and poor, south and north, liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican, city and country. Educated and non-educated, tradesmen and professional, Hispanic and white, black and Hispanic, fat and skinny, male and female, old and young. Every division that they can leverage to maintain control and advance the goals of the state and industry, they will leverage. Every single one. And they have done this so perfectly well. This supposedly the most free country in the world is rapidly turning into one of the biggest police states in the world. We lead the world in how many people we keep in prison. But we can't lead the world in how many of our children graduate from high school. We lead the world in the number of people that we keep in prison, but we cannot seem to lead the world in the number of children that graduate high school. Tell me where the political solution is. I'd love to see it if it exists. If you're going to spout some nonsense to me about, well, this so-and-so is a constitutional conservative, I don't even care if the marketing matches the horse. What good is it really going to do? All it will do is incrementally advance the statist agenda on the right side of the paradigm. More freedom for a corporation and less freedom for individual. That's all it will do. If that is the first thing that true constitutional conservative is going to run into when he gets to his job in Congress as a party chief who's going to hand him a bill for his party dues and send him to do a telemarketing job to raise money for the party 
And until he pays his bill, which will total about $800,000, he's not going to get anything done. He's not even going to be able to co-sponsor a bill. He's not even going to be a minor chair in a minor committee. He's not going to get to do anything. No one will even talk to him until he pays his bill. That's the situation that those people are going into. There is no way that we will ever rectify our problems in the halls of government, especially at the federal level. We can get some things done at the state level at this point, but that's even hard. The individual private sector level is all that is left. And we will find roadblocks and hindrances from our government at every step along the way, but we must act anyway. Period. I've said to people, especially those that love government and think that government can do so many wonderful things, that really are genuinely good people that really care, and I meet them, especially in the permaculture world, so often. Young, ambitious, energetic people that really care about equality in the world, and they really want to make a difference. I tell them that if you want to fix something, whatever it is, whether it's planting trees in schools or teaching the uneducated, or doing whatever it is to, to make this world a better place, you'll run into two problems, and the first one will be money. You'll think, if I just had enough money to, to make things work, I could get started, I could prove it would work, and I could get more money to do more things, because people would know I'm worth taking a bet on. And if you solve the money problem, which generally isn't that hard to do, if you're really dedicated to something, you can generally find money to get things done at least to get started. But as soon as you do, you'll run into the second problem that's much bigger, government. You'll come up with a way to house people that doesn't require stealing money from the American people to get it done, that puts people into housing that's more environmentally friendly for real, that requires them, if they're going to live there, to be responsible for their own housing. And if they're not responsible, to be thrown out, to be everything the government should have done and didn't do. And the government will get in the way. If you put together things and you don't play the, the game the way that they want you to and you show up to help people after a storm, the government will tell you to go away, that you're not needed, that it's their job to do that, not yours. Do it anyway. Didn't that just really happen? We just talked about that last week. A bunch of people got together to solve a problem and the government told them to go away. They don't want you to fix a problem outside of their system because they need you to think you need them. The solution is in your own backyard. The solution is in guerrilla gardening. The solution is instead of whining about the illiteracy rate, finding someone that can't read and teaching them to read. The solution lies in, instead of bitching about the school system, removing your child from it and taking responsibility for their education yourself, however you can get that done, whether that's homeschooling or private schooling or cooperative schooling or whatever it is. The solution is in your individual action. At some point in time, as enough people do this and experience prosperity amidst failure, people start to notice this and go, wait a minute, if everything they say is crazy and wrong, why do they have it better than us? 
Why are they happier than us? Why are they healthier than us? Why are they not worried that their retirements are going to be destroyed? Or why do they simply accept that and already have another plan? Why are they eating well when we're eating shit? Why are their kids respectful when our kids are in jail? Why are they winning the scholarships when we're spending $20,000 a student in some school districts and we're not winning the scholarships? And the, 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 the homeschool mom that lives in a single wide trailer has her three kids all with scholarships to good schools. Why is that happening? Because there is a better way. The solution is not in the halls of government. It's in the hands of the people that are currently subject to the government. But the government has power at your pleasure, folks. The government has power at your... We created them. The states did not create the people. The people created the states. And the United States did not create the states. The states created the United States. All power in this country comes from the sovereignty of the individual citizen. And through very effective marketing and through lots of money and lots of coercion, we've been robbed of that. No one will give it back to you. Like I said, it's not fair. It doesn't work for the pensioner in Detroit, and it doesn't work for you either. No one will give it back to you. You have to take it. And you have to sacrifice in order to take it. No one will give it to you. No, it will not just happen. It will not just fall out of the air. No unicorn is going to fart you a rainbow. You are going to have to make your own rainbow. You're going to have to paint it for yourself. And I can't tell you what it looks like. It would just be another form of tyranny. You must decide for yourself what you really want in your own life, and you must build it for yourself. And for those that look at what you're doing and say, I want to be part of that. And make no apologies. You know, in this world, people say the following, and I hate it. I hate this statement. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I hate that because you should only apologize when you've done something wrong. And most of the time when that sentence comes up, what the person wants to do isn't wrong. It's just prohibited in some way. I want to build housing that doesn't require the electrical grid. But they won't let me. Oh, it's better to ask for forgiveness and permission. I understand the sentiment. Build it and defend it. Don't apologize for it. Build your life and defend it. Don't apologize for it. If you think government sucks at something that's really important to you, you go do it better. And you will run into government as a problem. Do it anyway. Somebody will say you're crazy. That what you're doing is a complete waste of time. That you can't possibly make a difference. Do it anyway. Believe in yourself. Believe in your family. And when you say to yourself, well, the government won't take care of me, don't expect that they will then. Put aside food for yourself. Think about your needs from water and shelter and energy. Start making small provisions for them a little at a time. Start your own incremental march of left, right, left. Away from, not towards the state. Walk to freedom, both physically and metaphorically. A little bit today, and a little bit tomorrow, and a little bit the next day. For your own self-reliance, for your own self-sufficiency, and for the future of your children and their children. 
We didn't get here overnight. We won't get away from it overnight. I'm sorry, but all of the fan fiction novels where the country falls apart, millions of people die, but in the end, the nation is restored. The part about the end where the nation is simply restored to what it should have been all along is probably the biggest piece of fiction in the whole thing. The people of the nation must change or the nation shall not change. If you want to change your nation, start by changing yourself. If you want to change your government, start by changing yourself. If you want to change anybody or anything anywhere in the world, start with the man in the mirror. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Adios.